Well, good morning. Thank you guys all for making this part of your Sunday today. Thank you on the live stream if you're joining in. Our pastor, Greg Montague, and his wife, Lori, are enjoying a little break. And if you saw me up here last week and knew I was coming back and you still showed up today, I, I appreciate that. Uh, I hope they're getting some good refreshment. You might pray for that. You know, sometimes we pray for the sad things in life. Right? Let's pray for the good things, too, to happen in each other's lives. My name is Bob Priest, Jr. I'm version 2. I always tell people the original was a whole lot better. My dad is Bob Priest, Sr., He's a really good guy. He's not here today. He's out enjoying the cool mountain air. But he tends to be a fairly private guy. My, my mom's here. Mom, I'm going to talk about him so you can tell him that I got away with it while he was, he was somewhere else, okay? He doesn't talk much about himself. It's kind of like a lot of guys, you know, private, you know, kind of quiet fellows. And uh, he's generally in a conversation more interested in, in who he's talking to and finding things out about them. So sharing his experiences of his growing up years is like, you know, pulling teeth trying to get it, much to the dismay of my, my two siblings and myself. But if we really pay attention every now and then, the boy will leak something out and we'll get to hear some of his history. And that, that's what happened one afternoon. It's been quite a few years ago, but I, I have it in my memory now. Dad and I were sitting on my brother's back porch. Uh, it's over in Lenexa. It was a graduation, open house kind of event. And we're outside on a beautiful afternoon with a few of the other guests. And out my brother's back, at the end of my back, uh, brother's backyard, there's a fence and Flum Road runs right by that. So we're sitting down. We just get comfortable. And what comes cruising by but this beautiful old 50s era Ford automobile, one of those classic Fords, you know. And all of a sudden... A 50-year-old memory comes flashing into my dad's mind, and Mr. Quiet, you know, starts jabbering for all, for me and everyone else who wants to hear about how that was just like his very first car. Guys, remember your very first car? And that was interesting to me, but it's what he shared next that, that really stuck with me. He said, oh, yeah, uh, my dad's from New Hampshire, and... Uh, he talks kind of funny sometimes, you know, they got that accent. He says, oh, yeah, we, we were driving down to Boston, me and my buddy in my very first car, and I got in this unbelievable wreck. Dad's just probably 16 years old, so that got my attention. Somehow, and, and I'll tell you up front, miraculously, no one was hurt, but my dad was driving through this intersection, missed the light somehow, and drove right in front of a 10-wheel truck. And it took his new car, and it sheared the front of the entire car right off, tossed his buddy into the, into the road. He's, he was okay. And the last part of the memory my dad shared, he said, you know, I was walking around, Bobby, and I, I saw my wallet over there and my watch over there. And I, I had no idea how they had gotten there. Fifty years earlier that had happened to my dad, and just by seeing the car over the fence, that, that memory came alive, and he could remember all those details. Isn't memory an amazing thing? Now, you're all thinking of things now, too, aren't you? I bet we could have a great afternoon if we all just started sharing memories from our families and backgrounds, but it's always surprising to me how our memory works, what we can recall easily, and other times things we just... We want to remember it. We, it just eludes us. It completely eludes us. Has that ever happened to anybody? There's some things we'd like to forget, and we can't. 
And what a gift good memories are. Sometimes good memories can kind of push aside some of the bad ones for us. I was watching a little bit of the ESPYs Awards this week. Anybody catch that on, on the sports program? I figured a few guys, you guys would. And part of the program was to honor Vin Scully, the legendary L.A. Dodgers broadcaster. He's up there with his golden voice and sharing some remarks, and I'm sure he's got a million stories we could listen to as well. But somewhere in the talk he said this, God gave us memories so that we could have roses in December. God gave us memories so that we could have roses in December. I thought that was really good. Some of us are not content to just reflect on our memories, are we? We want to try to make them a little more concrete. Some of us try to anchor our memories down and make things a little more permanent so we can hold on to those. So we create memorials. We memorialize people and, and events and accomplishments in our lives. Sometimes it's family pictures or videos or you can think of trophies you have or or plaques on the wall, special kinds of jewelry. Sometimes our our wives expect some of that. We even memorialize certain certain sports. I've done some of that. Certain sports victories like the Super Bowl, like this beauty. Do you guys know what that ring is, Chiefs fans? That is the Super Bowl ring from the 1969 team that won the Super Bowl. I wanted to bring up a good memory for you. So I kind of counted, and I may have been wrong, but I think that's one really big diamond in the middle, and then I think there's 12 more, 13 diamonds on that beauty, so they could remember their 1969 Super Bowl. Now, the NFL's become more prosperous, and with that, the rings have kind of escalated a bit, and I can't remember who won the last Super Bowl, but it was, oh, yeah, how many diamonds, how many diamonds do you think are on this? 283 diamonds. Now, you sports fans might know what the significance of that is. I won't tell you. You'll have to look it up later. 283 diamonds. Are we crazy with the way we we memorialize things sometimes? Sorry, Mike. I couldn't help myself. Um, On a more serious note and kind of more in line with, with our topic for this morning, we also memorialize really important things, too. I've got an, another slide. Sorry, I'm kind of hoarse this morning. I've got another slide up here that I wanted to show you. Uh, this is a very special one in our family because this is for my father-in-law. And as with many families, in our burial places, we have these beautiful gravestones, these cut granites, all done very well. But you can tell this one is even unique compared to that. Because for Sandra's dad, and for many, many who served, the United States military wanted to join us in honoring the old soldier. So he and his wife, actually, are, uh, they have a special place out at Leavenworth National Cemetery. I don't know if you've gotten to be in a national cemetery or maybe that one, but it's overpowering sometimes. That's how we memorialize important individuals in our lives, Right. We even take it a step further. We and our fellow countrymen will try to memorialize entire wars and an entire generation that made the ultimate sacrifice. They answered the call of their country. How many of you all have been to Washington, D.C. and seen this? I'll never forget the first time we went. I've been to it two times. 
And because of my father-in-law's service there and his experience, it was extremely moving. You know, those are the names of all the young men and women that lost their lives in a, in a war. And people were there. You, I'm sure you've seen them kind of etching it on pieces of paper. Sorry. <laughs> Get a little choked up. But we, we memorialize and honor that kind of sacrifice, don't we? Think of the names on that wall and all the futures that will never be. And think of all the futures that will be because they were willing to pay that price with their lives. It's with those thoughts of memorials in our minds, the serious ones this morning, that that I'd like to read to us what the Bible says about a very special memorial, the Jesus Memorial. Before we read that, why don't we bow our heads and take a moment to pray. Thank you, Lord, for... uh, this gift of memory that you've given us for the artistic and the creative people that can make memorials that just evoke respect and love and gratitude from us. Thank you for those gifts, Father. As we read about your son and how we memorialize him from your word, I pray that you'd open our hearts and minds. Once again, give us your wisdom so that we can know the truth about you, so that we can align our lives up with you and find what it is you have for us in life. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I use the term that we don't often use, the Jesus Memorial. What comes to mind when someone uses those words? I would say for most of the average folks out there, if we said the Jesus Memorial, the obvious answer would be, The cross, right? We think, oh, that would surely be the cross. But according to the Bible, Jesus had a different means of remembrance in mind. You know, a lot of times the person who's being memorialized doesn't have a say in it, right? It happens after they're gone. But Jesus, before he passed, had a a very specific desire and direction that he would be remembered through the observance of the Lord's Supper, I'd like to have you turn, if you'd like, in your Bibles to page 690. There's a passage from 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, that kind of gets the basics of this memorial. It gets the basics of the Lord's Supper. I'll read that to you. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. That's his memorial. How how does that strike you as a memorial? It's not like a a big stone somewhere. It's not like a giant marble cross. It's not maybe an etching on a gold tablet of Jesus' face or something so that we could remember him that way. It's just some ingredients from an ordinary, everyday meal, especially in that time. We don't probably have wine with a lot of our meals, but they did. It was bread and wine. What's Jesus doing here? Well, just in a very basic fashion, he's saying, look, bread and wine are what keep us alive. That's what sustains us 
spiritually or physically. And just as bread and wine nourish us and sustain us, Jesus is saying with this simple memorial, I am the one who sustains you spiritually. I am your spiritual food and drink. You can think of times Jesus said things like that, can't you? I'm the bread of life. Feed on me was something he said one time that people were kind of puzzled by. What's he talking about? He's pointing to this kind of thinking. He's reminding us that he is our source of eternal life. Not just physical life, but eternal life. It's a tremendous depth of meaning to this memorial that Jesus instituted. You know, we celebrate it every week here at Southwoods. And I think every week we could come up with some new insight to share. So we're not going to be able to cover all the depth of the meaning of the Lord's Supper today. But one of the highlights that we saw in this passage that we just looked at, one of the highlights of emphasis that Jesus places on his memorial is this new covenant. He called it an agreement that was confirmed by his blood. That's one of the highlights of what we're experiencing when we, when we take the Lord's Supper. He's asking us to remember that we we humble creatures, we mortals, made by the awesome God, have fallen so far short of what he intended us to be. But because Jesus has made this new agreement, he's confirmed this new agreement with God by his blood, we can have a reconciliation, a restoration of our relationship with this God that we've strayed so far from. The Lord's Supper is our regular reminder of this sacred access that we have. It's brilliant. Not a brilliant memorial, brilliant in its simplicity. The church people liked it. They listened to it. They obeyed Jesus' desire, and they began to practice this. This Lord's Supper has now been continually practiced as a way to remember our Lord and what he did on the cross for over 2,000 years. Now, it's taken a whole lot of different forms, right? In fact, we'll talk in a minute about early on their form wasn't a tiny little uh, piece of bread and a thimble full of juice. Their deal was they had a meal. It was called a feast, and part of that feast was this worship moment where they would eat bread and drink wine with it. We'll talk about that a little more. But this has continued down through the generations and been, been honored by Christians everywhere. Another thought that emerges from those, those verses that we just read is that because Jesus rose from the grave, <laughs> excuse me, because Jesus rose from the grave, our memorial's a little different. We don't just remember him in the past. Jesus' memorial proclaims his death in the past, but, it, but it's only temporary, right? What does he say toward the end of that passage we were looking at? We're going to continue this memorial until he comes again, until he comes again. So part of your and my celebration of the Lord's Supper needs to be anticipation. Anticipation. Because we've got to remember, Jesus isn't dead, He's alive. Jesus is doing things right now. We're told that he, has gone, he went to prepare a place for you and me. And our moments in the Lord's Supper need to be uh, filled with anticipation of 
what is he doing right now? What is he going to bring my way when he comes back? When this current age concludes and the coming age commences, the Lord's Supper is so much more than a looking back kind of memorial. We look back. That gives us every reason to look forward with hope. It's a great verse. I found. I actually found it last week when I was looking at some of the things about the cross. It's uh, Hebrews chapter 9. You don't need to turn there. It's toward the end of Hebrews chapter 9. It says this. <clears throat> Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And we're waiting for him. So as we take the Lord's Supper, the question we need to ask is, are these kind of the thoughts and hopes and feelings and dreams that I have for what might be one day? Am I experiencing this sense of anticipation in addition to gratitude for all that he's done in the past? Am I thinking forward and looking forward to what we'll enjoy? You know, he's, he's done something really special for us. He's taken death off the table. He's turned death into just this passageway from one life to a new eternal life. It's not an obstacle anymore. So we have every right in our faith in Jesus to be thinking and anticipating for the future. It's really hard when we and loved ones are going through that passageway, isn't it? And I don't want to underplay that. But we can live with hope even in our last moments that we are stepping through into that eternal life that Jesus has provided for us. In Colossians 3, he says, set your heart on that. Set, fix your heart on that truth. There's another aspect of this Lord's Supper, this sacred supper is what I wrote down, that it's intended to be motivating to us. Now, I'm not a jeweler, but I've often thought, shouldn't we Christians, instead of wearing little crosses around our neck, have a little empty tomb icon or something, you know? Because wasn't it the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that, that gave meaning to all that he said in his life, that showed that he actually had power to do what he's going to do? Shouldn't we be carrying a little empty tomb to remember that he rose from the dead? And then we, I was thinking, in, in context of this, we could put a number two on there on our chain because he's coming back. It's the second coming. I think that would make a beautiful piece of jewelry. No, I'm not getting the looks. It's not a good idea for jewelry. And it's not really what the Lord has in mind at all for us. That's not to say he doesn't want us to, to reflect back upon his, his moment of power, his resurrection. It's not that he doesn't want us to reflect back on his second reflect forward on his second coming, which will be his ultimate triumph. But Jesus specifically gave us this memorial to say, I want you to focus on my broken body and the blood that I poured out for you. What's he doing there? Why would Jesus have that in mind? Why not maybe give us something that feels a little more victorious to reflect on every week? It's not an accident. It's significant that Jesus instructs us to regularly reflect back to the cross. His routine, his desire is that we routinely focus our attention 
on the breaking of his body and the pouring out of his blood. Is is Jesus like, is he like some of our dark cynics that say, well, that Jesus, he's just some narcissist. Look at me. Look, he's a masochist. Look at, look at me. Look at me. Look at the horrible things I went through for you people. I did this for you. Is that, is that what Jesus is saying when he wants us to look back at the cross? That's, that's not Jesus. That's about the most negative perspective anyone could have on what he's doing. So why focus this that way? I believe we're reminded of Jesus' great self-sacrifice so that we will remember the calling we have to our own life of sacrifice. There's a purpose in the Lord's Supper to remind us of Jesus' great self-sacrifice so we will remember the sacrificial lives that we have been challenged to. Let me have you listen as I read to you from Luke chapter 9. If you're interested in turning there, it's page 622. This is where Jesus sets forth one of the strongest expectations for the ones who wanted to be on his team, the ones who wanted to be with him and be his followers in his kingdom. Listen to what Jesus had to say to those folks. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? That's Luke 9, 23 through 25. That's the high calling of our Lord to anyone who wants to follow him. Self-denial doesn't feel like a real high calling, does it? I don't get what I want out of that. And yet that's what exactly what the Lord's trying to have us do through this, this lens of self-denial as we approach the Lord's Supper. He's trying to use this as a moment to inspire us to, to practice this kind of willing self-denial, to lay down our lives daily, but some of us, that may actually be a reality, but to lay down our lives daily to, to set aside my appetites and cravings, my, my must-haves in my life. He called it our selfish ways. The Lord's Supper is here to remind us to lay down our rights and what we deserve and live in a way that benefits everyone around us. One of the guys on Saturday morning quotes from Philippians a lot. He says, I'm supposed to... I'm supposed to live in a way that makes everyone else more important than me. Yeah, that's right. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate to us. That cannot make sense. That cannot make sense to us unless we remember the power of Jesus that was released when he made his decision for self-sacrifice. The many children that he brought to glory is what we read last week because he was willing to lay down his life. Not even death could interrupt the mission that Jesus had. In fact, through his death, his mission was accomplished. In observing the Lord's Supper, will I embrace his sobering reminder as inspiration to live this kind of self-denying life? 
Let the Lord's Supper be a reminder that while his earthly mission is complete, yours and mine is not complete yet. We still have some sacrificing to do. No, we, Jesus ran a risk, probably a big risk, in setting up this kind of memorial because it's not just a permanent thing somewhere. He involved us in his memorial. And you can see over the years that's been a difficulty at times. It wasn't just for us in later generations. Some of the early Christians became desensitized to what that Lord's Supper experience was supposed to be. It, it, it became minimized in their life. I, I hope I'm not being irreverent, but it's like instead of a Lord's Supper experience, it became a Lord's tiny snack experience. Because it just didn't have the magnitude that Jesus and the meaning that Jesus wanted it to have. In their lives, they became desensitized to the great meaning behind the bread and the wine memorial. We won't take all the time to read of their details, uh, the details of their failings, but I mentioned earlier their approach then was this, this was a big event. They gathered for this meal. Sometimes it's called love feasts because they were trying to be in community together around this worship experience. And so you can, you can read in 1 Corinthians 11 about all that happened, but the sad truth is, is that this beautiful memorial that Jesus had instituted became corrupted. Instead of them practicing self-denial, they were rushing to see who could be first in line to get the food. And they were using real wine. So they had a problem in their worship with drunkenness because people weren't looking at the meaning. It was all about How can I fill my belly? How can I get the food that I need today? How can I get the drink that I want? Not exactly what our Lord Jesus had in mind for his memorial. One of the early leaders you know of Paul the Apostle, I'm sure, he wrote them with these words of counsel. It's back at that 1 Corinthians 11 where we started this morning, a little further down the page. Paul writes, So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That's why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. If you're really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. Leaders love to have to put stuff like that out, don't they? Love those kind of memos, kind of tough words. Refocusing was needed. Sometimes we need a reminder of how costly it can be when we deviate from the designs and the commands of our our loving creator, don't we? When we lose proper perspective on the Lord's Supper, we can forget how much it costs Jesus on the cross. You know, in that moment on the cross, when God's love and his mercy, and his forgiveness, all things he wanted to give us, had to be reconciled with his righteousness and justice. It was Jesus 
who bore the justice. It was Jesus who took the justice that all of us deserved so that we could receive the benefits, that we could receive the grace that, that God wanted to give us. When we lose a proper perspective on the Lord's Supper, we can be tempted to kind of minimize forgiveness. We think that forgiveness just comes cheap, and it's not cheap. I don't think Paul's concern was so much over a little bread and wine. It was the insensitivity, the spiritual insensitivity of their hearts that he was trying to work on with them. They, have, they had allowed the, the spiritual part of themselves to get deformed, to get hardened. Their severe lack of spiritual self-awareness was such that they considered the Lord's Supper just another snack, just another way to fill their stomachs. And Paul's warning them here, this lackadaisical approach to self-denial and self-examination is certain to lead to more hurtful and more harmful behaviors in your life with all the attending consequences that will come along with them. Paul's trying to coach them away from these negative outcomes to a more sacred perspective. What can we learn from this? How can we approach the Lord's Supper in a way that we don't repeat their errors? Well, we've taken one step. You're not going to fill up on those little white things and the little juice, right? We've kind of taken some of the practical steps we can take. What do we need to do on the inside? What do we need to do as we approach this time in our worship to make sure we don't follow into that same failure that they had? Well, in, in the words of that passage, it said, it's time to examine ourselves, This little time we take, and you may want to lead up with it with time outside the auditorium. It's time to examine ourselves. What's going on in our hearts today? You know, am I I willing to, to take up my cross today? And we can talk to the Holy Spirit and say, would you please surface things in me that I need to deny? Or things that I need to do? And I've been resisting. And the Holy Spirit, in a beautiful, personal way, will meet us in this time of the Lord's Supper. What do we do if he brings up things that, that make us feel really guilty or, or shameful? What if, what if he brings up stuff that I don't really want to deal with? Creates a sense of, of distance in me from God. Our natural tendency is, let's just get through this. Maybe we'll withdraw. I don't want to experience that. It's the exact opposite of what Jesus wants this time for us to be. He wants it to be a time when we engage, when we remember, and we receive this forgiveness and cleansing that he's offered to each one of us. He wants to draw near to us, is the note I made, so he can give us forgiveness and healing and the power to change. I won't tell you we've covered everything the Lord's Supper is about this morning, but it's a lot about that right there. I'd like to conclude with a short verse that, speaking of memory early on, I memorized as a young guy, it's a little different version of the Bible. This is from 1 John 1 9. I learned it in the uh, King James, I think, Mom. I think that's where that started for me. Listen to this good news. If we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. He's faithful 
and he's just. All of that got reconciled for us and made this new way of freedom available to us. So we can know forgiveness. We can know cleansing. We can know a purpose for our lives and know that that extends beyond this life into eternal life. This is what we remember as we eat the bread, as we drink the cup, as we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thank you guys for your attention today. We have kind of a special opportunity right at the end of the service here. I'd like to call Cody and the team of people that are going to be uh, traveling this week on the, the student mission trip. Adults and young people, if you would come up. Yeah, come on stage. This morning I woke up with a verse that just kept sticking in my head, and it's in Matthew chapter 8. It says, Then a teacher of the law came to Jesus and said, I will follow you anywhere. And Jesus says, Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have a, have a place to lay his head. And we're, I was just kind of reflecting on that this morning. And, you know, Jesus went to where there was the need, and he went and he served. Um, I think he probably knew where he was, why he was going and doing that. But we're going to be doing a trip this week that, uh, honestly, I think we're all excited about. But there's some nerves a little bit, too, because we literally don't know where we're going. It's called Destination Unknown. And we're going to, every day, draw a distance and a direction out of a baggie or a box, and we're going to go there. And we haven't done our first distance and direction yet. We wanted to share that with you. So as soon as service is done, we're going to eat lunch, and we're going to get on the road and go to this place. And every day, every night, hey, Jenna, come on. (laughs) Um, She was serving, so that's awesome. Um, But we're going to, every night during our our nightly worship time, we're going to draw our distance and direction for the next day, and we're going to go there. So we encourage you, please, the thing that we um, beg more than anything is be praying for us this week, uh, because there's a lot of uh, unknowns, but I, I say it's destination unknown, but it's mission known, because we know what our mission is. We just don't know our destination, but God does, and he's already preparing that. And we just ask that you partner with, with us in prayer. Uh, and please also, we encourage you, we're going to try to um, keep posting on some different things that we're doing. And each day we'll post where we're going the next day. And so please uh, check in on Instagram or Facebook and see where we're going and be praying for those things. So I thought we'd uh, pull our first distance and direction today. <laughs> Bob, would you be would you give do the honors oh, today? Yeah. How about we do that? We'll start off with our I believe this is the direction one, and you can I'll see if I can mix it up here. What have you been praying for? Okay, any anyone? Okay. Okay. What is it? It is northeast. Northeast. Alright. Northeast. We'll put that back in there. And a distance. They're all kind of together, so just pull whichever one you want. And the distance is 120 miles. So we'll be going two hours northeast. So that is what we'll be doing. Thank you so much for partnering with us. And you can be praying specifically. We do have 13 students and four adults that are going to be going. And I think Bob's going to pray for us. Too cool. Yeah, I never heard anything like that. I I will be praying, and we'll all be praying for you guys this week. But why don't we start now? If you guys wouldn't mind uh, standing, we'll make this our closing prayer, and we'll be on our way after this. So give these kids a hug and let them know you're praying for them too. Let's all bow together.
Father, we thank you for this this morning and these uh, good people that have come here to devote time to you and your ways. And just pray that your blessing on all of us as we go. We pray especially for this team. God, I can imagine there's all kinds of excitement and and jitters and maybe a little fear. We just pray that your spirit would be over all of them, building them a confidence that you are with them, that you will fulfill your purposes in their lives. Pray for their families, uh, that you'd give them comfort and peace of mind, that they're in good hands, and just uh, smooth the road ahead of them so that they'll they'll experience exactly what you have for them, especially right now going northeast 120 miles, Lord. Open up the opportunity for them that you want them to have to serve you and to see your hand work in the lives of people, maybe that they don't even know right now. Bless the team with cohesion, with strength. Help them to look out for each other. Pray that you'd head off any uh, discord or anything that might the evil one might try to get in their way on. Give them health, give them safety, give them strength to accomplish all that you have in mind for them this time. And let it, let it bear fruit, uh, not just for now, God, but for this eternal life that you have. Thank you for this time now. We ask your blessing on us all, all as we go. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.